Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest in this episode of the podcast is Jerry Hussey. Jerry is a leading performance psychologist whose words of wisdom might be what you need to hear today. And I say that because sometimes in life we can shift into autopilot without even realising it. And often that autopilot is following a route signposted by a lot of shoulds. And if you're a long-time listener of this podcast, then you will know I am no fan of should in anyone's vocabulary. When I spoke to Jerry, who has worked with elite athletes among many others... I was a long way down my road to recovery from depression and anxiety. And that's not to say recovery is linear, far from it. But had I heard Jerry's words of wisdom when I was at my lowest, I would like to think it would have jolted me, they would have jolted me out of my autopilot, out of my darkness, and into realising that the only person who should be in the driving seat of my life is me, and that I had the ability to steer myself where I wanted to go. And so... I hope that whoever needs to hear this today, whoever is listening who feels they aren't where they want to be, I hope this meets you where you are and offers you some clarity and confirms your own belief that you can get yourself where you need to be because you can believe it, you can do it, you can be it, you can achieve it. And I also suspect that even if you don't identify with what I've just said, if you feel like life is pretty much going the way that you want it and you're in a pretty good place, I've got a sneaky suspicion that there may be value to be found in what Jerry says on this episode. And I'm just going to be very honest with you listeners, I still struggle with this today. I struggle with this this idea that I have autonomy and sometimes I get stuck in the should cycle or I get stuck in negative thinking and I need to remind myself that I do have agency and that I can give myself the green light to make choices, to do things, to go places, to have fun even. I was at dinner with friends the other day and they commented, oh normally you cancel And I do, I have a tendency to, if I have work to do, I will prioritize that over living my life because work has to come first. And I feel that if I believe that, then that's where success will come. And I'm really slowly learning that actually it's the the joy that you allow into your life that makes your success. 
it motivates you but it also helps you to enjoy your success even more when when it happens but let's talk about Jerry and why I wanted to bring him onto the podcast and we discuss it in our conversation but Jerry has felt those very low lows at age 11 he had his first thoughts of suicide and yes trigger warning if you listen any further there is mention of suicide in this conversation albeit briefly and he's had to pick himself up from the darkest places when his self-belief was pretty much non-existent he blends neuroscience psychology and spirituality and jerry empowers people to remember what they are passionate about to remember who they are and to pursue that passion with an energy and a focus that allows them to achieve their goals in life which is something that i really enjoyed tapping into Jerry and I recorded this episode a little while ago, actually, after I read his book, Awaken Your Power Within. The subtitle is Let Go of Fear, which I can really relate to. Um, I allow fear to make a lot of decisions for me. Uh, That's not the subtitle, but it's part of it. So let go of fear, discover your infinite potential, become your true self. And when I re-listen to this episode before I publish it, as I go back and I re-listen to all of the shows after I've had the conversation, because my head is not thinking about the next question or where I'd like the conversation to go next or any of those things. So when I re-listened objectively, I was really taken aback by how much he shares, how many golden nuggets, as I like to call them, there were in his insights and how so much of them made sense to me. And I hope they make sense to you. If this is what you need to hear today, I really, really do. So the links to the book, Jerry's website, Jerry's Instagram, and also the resources he mentions are all in the show notes. So they're all in one place. You don't have to worry about that. So all you need to worry about is the fact that we're going to be welcoming Jerry Hussey onto The Emma Gunn Show. Welcome to The Emma Gunn Show, Jerry Hussey. How are you? Morning, Emma. How are you? I'm great, thank you. I'm really well. I'm very excited to speak to you because... um, I was just saying, listeners, before we started, that I really hope that this episode finds people where they are. And if you are in a place where you feel that you're not really where you want to be, or you feel frustrated by the place that you might find yourself in physically, spiritually, emotionally, then Jerry might just be the person that you need to hear today. Is that, um, I mean, would you think that's, do you think that's accurate, Jerry? I think it is. I mean, sometimes, you know, the reason I do the work, Emma, as you know, maybe from the book is, it's just my own self. I grew up as a very anxious child, a kid with no self-confidence. I had a very bad stammer, you know, in school, I used to just dread the idea that somebody would asked me to speak because I'd make a fool of myself. Um, and at 11 years old, I first contemplated suicide. So there's probably not many I can't identify with every human experience, of course, but there's so many human experiences that I can identify with from that kid that was terrified and crippled with anxiety, contemplating suicide to a guy who travels the world talking around the connection between the mind and the body, the connection between neuroscience and spirituality and a guy that has managed to build a business and fall in love and have a little boy that's 18 months old and, I have to pinch myself at times, not that my life is perfect, it's far from perfect, not that I'm perfect in my own self, I struggle some days, but to have travelled as far as I have from that 11-year-old kid uh, to myself. So the work I do primarily is, is, is for myself, is to keep my own, my own self strong and happy and keep my own life um, free from fear. And then I'm just blessed that I get to share it with people. And, and now with the book going to the UK and the US, I get to share it with the world, which is, is incredible. Well, this is something that really stuck stuck out to me. And it is that thing of when you say you've come a long way at 11 years old to have those dark thoughts, 
you you broke free from them and it is that thing isn't it and it's the I've said this before on the podcast I love stories of success but what I really love is those stories of success that include failure and where and when the person figures it out puts the ladder back down for anyone else who might be in the position they were formerly in and it feels as though that's very much the energy you bring to what you do which is I know it's really difficult I know it's going to be the hardest thing that you have to face but you can do it and I know this because I did it and I can tell you it was difficult but what's on the other side is worth that is worth that journey yeah the biggest thing I try to give people Emma is not so much information or techniques because that comes after a little while. When I was at my lowest, you know, people used to say, I just go out for a run and you'll be fine. I, I couldn't muster up the energy to go for a run. Mm. Or people would say to me, ah, but you're, come on, we, we go shopping for the day. That'll cheer you up. But it didn't. So you have to meet people exactly where they're at. And I remember the biggest overriding emotions that I felt when I was at my lowest was uh, alone. I felt like the world was moving on without me. I felt like the whole of the world and everything was happening outside a glass jar or glass bottle. And I was inside it. So I could see it, but I couldn't experience it. I couldn't feel it. I remember those days I'd be eating ice cream and I couldn't taste ice cream. It was like I was numb to the world and, mm. and I, was, I was in the world, but I couldn't feel it. I couldn't. I just felt so alone. And then the other part of me was I felt, I felt, you know, guilt that I felt like that because I had a happy childhood. Um, I grew up in a loving house and I kept saying, why am I so ungrateful? What's wrong with me? And people used to say to me, what have you, what have you to be depressed about? You know? So I kept asking what was wrong. So I set my business up. Not that I'm going to tell people how to fix their life, not because I can't fix and I can't heal. We can't heal people. People have to heal themselves. But the promise I make is that I will not leave people alone because I know what it is to feel utterly alone in the world. And when I set my business up, Soul Space, at that time, I was a, a relatively well-known, successful sports psychologist. But I got a little bit bored of that. And I said, there's something deeper I need to do. There's deeper conversations. So myself and my wife, we set up the business called Soul Space. And we started running seminars and wellness festivals but not around physical wellness, around dealing with things like depression, anxiety, miscarriage, heartbreak, because we know at a deeper level, the spiritual pain is probably the deepest pain we can have. And if you, can, if you heal the physical, but you don't heal the spiritual, something doesn't quite work. So mm -hmm. we were enough, maybe daring enough to create a space and we put every cent uh, that we had personally. We were trying to save for a house, but we put every cent we had into organizing our first festival. And we brought in the leading minds in, 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 in mental health, in psychology, in neuroscience, in the good brain access, good health, in bereavement, um, in, in, in learning, you know, to, to, to understand, accept, and move on from things like miscarriages. And people said, you're nuts, particularly in Ireland. They said, Irish people are not going to come to that. People are not going to be identified with that. It sold out before we even knew it. So, uh, so that's kind of where we place ourselves at. It's one of those deeper conversations that we need to have. And all I want to do, and I, what I hope this book does is it allows people to feel hope. It allows people to know they're not alone. And it allows people to know that the moment they're willing to make a change, the moment they're willing to heal, healing is absolutely possible. Okay. So what does, 
when you say the moment that they, how does somebody know that they need to heal is what I'm trying to ask with that question that I just completely flubbed up. Because if we're on, if you're guiding people, you're helping people, uh, uh, letting them see some of these tools that they can then use, how does someone know that they, they need to heal? Will, will they know? I think, you know, I think the question is, I, I believe we step one question short of a major breakthrough. That's a chapter in the book. I think we're so busy focused on the immediate, the day, the day-to-day stuff. So if we just stop and just ask a question, am I happy? Do I feel loved? When I look in the mirror, am I proud of the person that I see? And if it all ended tomorrow, which it could, would I have regrets? They're the only questions you ever need to ask. Am I happy? Do I feel loved? Am I proud of the person that I am? And if it ended tomorrow, would I have regrets? And based on those answers and those answers alone, then we start a journey because the journey to success or the journey to healing, any good journey ends in peace, love and joy. That's all. That's what success is. Mm. More peace, more joy, more love in your heart, in your soul, more pride when you look in the mirror, less comparison, less judgment and less chasing things in life that you don't really need. Well, let's talk about happiness then, because I think that that is something that what happiness feels like can become distorted. We can begin to think that happiness feels like something else. So, for example, I just uh, did a podcast yesterday, actually, with someone we were talking about happiness and how it's really easy to think that happiness is about accumulating things and stuff. And you can you can go a long way accumulating that stuff and thinking, yep, I'm happy but it's just a series of hits of uh, happiness in inverted commas. That's not the kind of happiness you're talking about, is it? Oh, there's three things I talk about. One is gratification, which is the most immediate, almost animal-like. So we get a hit of coffee, we get a hit of sugar, we someone gives us a like on Instagram, and we get that instant hit of gratification. And we know that that releases dopamine into our system. So chemically, it makes us feel good, but it wears off very fast. Then we need another coffee, we need another chocolate bar. The problem with that now is that we link the release of dopamine to those things. So we actually, from a brain chemical point of view, we're beginning to get addicted to those things. So a lot of people think we're addicted to coffee or addicted to chocolate or addicted to our phone. We're not really. We're addicted to the dopamine that's released by the brain when we do those things. So gratification, we can get you know, caught up in a cycle of addiction to these things. Beyond gratification is happiness. Now, what is happiness? Happiness for me is a mix of joy, fun, laughter, adventure. Think of the happiest days of your life. They were probably when you were on a roller coaster and you were half afraid, uh, you were half terrified, you were or, or maybe on a good night out with, with your friends and, and you're just doing things. And it's almost like you're allowing your inner child out to play. So for me, happiness isn't this kind of deadpan state of, of, of nothingness. You have to feel something. So happiness is a mix of, you know, people who play sport. It's not always enjoyable. They're always feeling nervous, but it makes them happy. People who paint, this focus, this concentration, this expression. So happiness has to be a mix of adventure, fun, nerves, in a controllable way that makes you feel alive. It makes you feel, God, I'm alive. This is unbelievable. Now, beyond happiness then, because all those emotions are relatively uh, short-lived and we can't be on a roller coaster every day. We're not painting. A, a, some days we have to do the mundane things. So beyond happiness, there is peace. 
the more we chase happiness is the more we're still chasing a fleeting, short-lived moment that, that's an emotion. But peace means you can be at peace regardless of the emotion. So even on the day you're feeling down, you can realize, I feel a little bit down today, so I need to be kinder to myself. I need to shorten my to-do list. I can be at peace. I can be at peace when I'm alone, even though today I would have really loved to have gone out shopping with my friends. It didn't happen, but I'm at peace. So very often peace is actually far more powerful than happiness because happiness is beautiful and it's incredible. But we can't be happy. Well, maybe we can, but I don't know who's happy every minute of every day. But to be at peace is the deepest spiritual gift there is. To be at peace with what is non-striving, non-judgment, non-resistance. To be able to be exactly where you are and be at peace there. To see the world exactly as it is and whether you wanted it to be that way or not. To be at peace with what it is. So the expression I use is enlightenment is nothing more than the acceptance of what is. Enlightenment is nothing more than the non-resistance of what is. And when we learn to be at peace with what is, we stop struggling and we stop suffering. Okay, I think it's going to sound like I'm saying, but what, as if I'm saying that um, I'm picking holes in what you're saying, and I'm absolutely not. I just am trying to see it from all perspectives. And I think one of the things that can get misconstrued as happiness as well is the pursuit of happiness, meaning I'm on... I've got a job and I'm on a salary projection over the next 10 years. I know that my salary is going to increase this much or I'm going to get engaged, married, get a house. You know, we have these plans that look like they've been perfectly plotted. And if you follow those and tick them all off, you will reach nirvana slash happiness. Yeah, um, what are your thoughts on that? No, that's the greatest myth. And it's the myth that's been spun by society to trap us into ways of living that support society. So when you think of all the philosophical society, the way society is built, so sociologists will know that society is built to protect society, not protect the individual. So we have to trap people into ways of staying in jobs they don't like. So we get them to buy a house they can't afford. We to keep people within the tax system that isn't really fair, but we have to make them believe it's fair and they stay within it. We have to get people to do every type of job. So society sets itself up to serve society, not to serve the individual. Now, one of the ways you do that is you make sure the individual isn't thinking too clearly. So you, you feed them fear and think about what's happening in the world at the moment, Emma. You mm-hmm. feed them fear. when they're fearful, their amygdala awakens, they go into fight or flight mode their prefrontal cortex shuts down. So they stop thinking, they stop questioning, they stop challenging science and they become obedient. So if you can do two things, you'll control the world. One is make people afraid and B is buy the media and tell the media what to tell people. So society has to be corralled in certain ways that support society. What society doesn't really want is people starting to think for themselves But what is necessary for the human being to find happiness is not to follow a prescribed society version of happiness, because you were the only you that has ever existed. There's never been another you. There will never be another you again. Your hopes, your dreams are important to you and you alone. And you alone can give yourself permission to be to follow them. So in school, we're told that if you study hard, you'll get to go to a good college. If you study hard, you go to a good college and then you get a good career. If you work hard in the career, you get a good promotion. If you keep following the promotion path, you get to retire. And by the time you retire at 65, you'll be happy. But by then, 
let me remind people, your average life expectancy is 900 months and we sleep 300. So by the time you get retired, by the time you give yourself permission to be happy, two thirds of your life have passed. So you spend two thirds of your life being unhappy in the hope that you might be happy at the end. And that's the way society sets us up. Keep chasing, stop thinking, don't question, just go. When we start to think, for me, the definition of happiness is the ability to extract the most amount of joy out of each moment as it unfolds. That is what happiness is. It's a skill. It's nothing to do with arriving at a place. It's nothing to do with a house. Most of my clients have more money than they'll ever spend, but they're still clients of mine, not because they're unhappy, but because they got to a point where they realized, God, this isn't it. Mm. I'm unfulfilled. There's a hole in my soul. There is a spiritual hole. There's something is missing. And what's missing is that connection to your true purpose, connection to your true self, the ability to be present in the moment and the ability to extract joy out of everything that is happening at this moment. So happiness doesn't, doesn't and will never exist in the future because saying happiness exists in the future is only giving you permission to prolong your pain. It's giving you permission to prolong your unhappiness. But when we say, I want to be happy now, and then the more we become happy, whether we're an artist or a musician, a book writer, a plumber, or electricianer, it doesn't matter what we do. When we start to bring happiness and joy into it, then we become very curious about it. We become good at it. And then we become successful anyway. So it's like the athletes. You don't wait until you become Olympic champion to enjoy the sport because it's going to be a waste of time. Even the Olympic medal will not justify the waste of hours you spent. Yeah, it's, it's funny the amount of people you uh, listen to, whether it's athletes who do get those medals or business people who uh, get the highest accolades or achieve huge success. They will say, and I'm sure you've heard it in your work, they get there and it's it's empty. The thing that they had you know, on their vision board, they achieve and it's not the feeling that they thought. And it's because I guess they haven't enjoyed the process and taken the joy out of every step that they've taken. They've waited to get on that podium for it to, to get that hit of happiness. Of course. I think the big wake up call for people, Emma, is that if you woke up this morning in the bed, if you live in a house, if you have food in your fridge, and if you have some money to spend where you're not worried about whether you die tonight of starvation or, or if you need a medical procedure, you're probably in the top one, two percent in the world. So just think of that. You're richer than 98 percent of people in the world. So how much richer? So you can only get maybe a half percent richer. But surely you need to be more than a half percent happier. Mm. We realize that now the what I will always say to people is the absence of money can cause stress. I'm not saying money buys happiness. But if you can't provide for your children, if you can't come up with the school fees, if you can't buy a car, I mean, those things cause stress. And I would always be the first one to say the absence of money, the absence of resources to provide for your family, that causes stress. But we know from the science, once we get to a certain level where we have enough, the amount of money after that, so we can increase our money by 20%, but the amount of percentage it adds to our happiness is minuscule. So we go from having X amount to 10 times that. But our happiness is only increased by 0.1%. 
And that's the proof. So the proof is once you hit the basics, once you have enough, but then there's a beautiful expression that says the happier, happiest of all people and the wealthiest of all people are those who know they have enough. Mm. Enough. Most of us drive cars that we thought we'd never own. Most of us live, we had this dream, I just want to own my own house and now we own our own house. I just want a secure job. You have a secure job. And did it, give, did it bring that infinite happiness that you expected? And then if it didn't, then the next version probably won't either. The bigger car, the slightly bigger promotion probably won't bring it either. So what is happiness? It's an internal connection with self. It's an internal connection with your passion, your dreams. It's the ability to be present in each moment. And one of the greatest books I've ever read is The Five Regrets of the Dying. It's an incredible book. And uh, as well as trying to encourage people to read my book, I would certainly say The Five Regrets of the Dying. It is a huge wake-up call for us all. Why do we chase things of matter when deep down we know things of matter don't actually matter? What would you say to someone who's listening to this who says, that all sounds great, Jerry, but I don't know what makes me happy. I don't know what I'm passionate about. And they're in that horrible position where you feel you've got you've got that feeling of you want to move forward. You, you can, once you know, you know that you'll hit it with full speed, but you just don't know what it is. I would say start by process of elimination. And that's exactly where I started. I was in a job, it was safe, it was secure, paid me well, but I hated it. And I didn't know what else to do. I didn't. I, I kind of knew I wanted to be a sports psychologist, but that didn't really exist in Ireland. So I, there was no tangible evidence that what I wanted was true. If I told you I was going to leave a safe, secure job, become self-employed, make about 2,000 euro in the first year, which is what I did, I was going to call myself the soul coach and I was going to make money um, by combining neuroscience, psychology, and spirituality. And if you were my deep f- good friend at the time, Emma, you probably would have said, Jerry, I don't think you should do that. That's what <laughs> I said. So I, I didn't really know what my career would look like. I didn't really know what my business was. I didn't know. But what I absolutely knew was that every moment I stayed in that job, my soul was dying. And I realized one day, if I stay here long enough, my soul will die and I will not be me. I will become a deflated, disinterested, second rate version of what I could have had. So I literally left my job with no great plan. So sometimes it's not that we we have to know what, what will bring us joy and happiness. But if we know what doesn't, then that's the first step. Then stop doing that. Stop committing to that. Stop attaching to that. Because at the end of the day, the only thing you think about what you'd want for your child, you'd want them to be happy. You'd want them to be joyful. Now, if they came to you someday and said, Emma, I'm in this job, or they said, Mammy, I'm in this job. It makes me deeply unhappy. It makes me stressed. I don't really like it. I know there's something better I could be doing with my life. What do you think I should do? There's only one answer you're going to give them. Mm. Don't wait until the next step appears. The first step is stop doing what's killing your soul. If it's depleting your soul, and then everybody comes up with the story. But if I quit this job, then I've no job. I can't pay my mortgage. I'm going to go broke. I'll end up in the streets. That doesn't happen because you have skills. You have talent. We have this cliff idea that if I stop doing this, then there's nothing else I can do. And my own wife left a safe, secure job as a pharmacist. 
And everyone said, you're crazy. You spent all that time training. You've all been qualifying. You've built a, a great business. And she suggests, but it's killing my soul. Mm. So she, a few years later, she probably has a career that allows her to travel the world. And she's making more money now than she ever made as a pharmacist. Well, the so thing like, that, sorry, carry on. No, I'm just saying it's, it's, it's never a cliff. You're not stepping off a cliff. You're stepping into something. And even if that something is completely blank, then that means it's infinite potential. So we don't fear the unknown. What we fear is what we project into the unknown, the stories. I won't find work. I'll never get another job. I'll never fall in love. That's, what you, that's what's bringing up the terror, not the unknown. So just be careful when you step. It's perfectly okay to step into the unknown. It is perfectly okay to step out of something that is making you unhappy. And when you step into that unknown, see it as unlimited potential. I think one of the biggest uh, breakthroughs I had when I had therapy a few years ago, uh, when I was diagnosed with depression, I went into counseling. And it was through therapy that I realized that I was I was living in fear. And I know fear is a big thing for you, um, which we will come on to uh, but the fear for me was I was staying in ter- in situations I didn't enjoy that were making me happy, that were making me unhappy, that were killing my soul, because I didn't know what was on the other side of making that decision to leave them. And it was only through having therapy that I was able to say to myself, "Well, make the decision and jump because it'll be okay because you'll be there." Yeah. And I never gave myself credit before. I had that. I always thought I'm going to need someone to rescue me and I don't know who will. And it was putting it, putting it on me and saying, well, you'll make it all right. Yeah. And I think that's the key, Emma, is when you begin to understand yourself and you begin to know yourself and you begin to trust yourself. What if I leave my job? What if I lose this? What if I lose this? Then you can say exactly what you said, but at least I have myself. And what I have is the best version of me. I'll have a self that I'm proud of. Because I took the chance. And when you look at the people who, you know, became Olympic champions or world champions, they built global companies. And if you ask them at the beginning, did you know for certain it would work out? They'll say no. Did you have a clear plan? Not really. But I had the simple idea. Mm. Started to etch it out. And for the first few weeks, I had to sleep in the office. Of the, so they'll all say the same story. And then you say, but what, 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 what allowed you to take the step? And they say, because I had to try. Something was in my heart. Something was telling me. And even if it failed, I could live with that. Because going after your dreams, whether it happens or not, is not failure. Failure is denying your dreams, suppressing your ambitions, suppressing your true self for safety and security that's not making you happy. You failed already. So we have to reframe failure, following your dreams, growing, learning embracing life regardless of the outcome if you're doing that I think you've you've succeeded already I did want to come on to fear because I know that in the book you say uh uh love sorry fear is the absence of love is that right have I got that the right way around and I think in the last couple of years we have been shrouded in fear fear of going out fear of touching people fear of being social and so I think it's become a character that we don't really have a, a name for. It's become this sort of new member of our society. Have you, does that, has that impacted people in a, a way that you've found has been really profound? Of course. Well, we know, yeah, we know fear and love can't coexist. 
So you turn up at a, a burning building and someone you love is on the top floor, one of your children, one of your, you know, someone you love, and you can hear them. But you can see the bottom of the house is covered in smoke. Now, your brain, your brain, which is a threat detection system, your brain will tell you what I need to do here is a needs risk analysis. What I need here is to do a risk assessment of the house. What I need to do is think about how hot that is and what would happen. That's what your brain will tell you. But at that moment, Emma, how many people, if their child is upstairs, are going to wait for that to happen? We go in. And very often when we're consumed and when we're filled by love, we do things and we don't know how we did it. Because the brain is a threat detection system. It is an electrochemical processing device based on the analysis and dealing with threat. So it's full of fear. The brain is full of fear. The heart is full of love. And the heart, we know, has, has neurons of its own. So cardi-neurology is now realizing that the heart has an ability to think by itself. It has its own neurons. We know now that, the, the, that we have three brains, the brain in our head, which is the ultimate threat detection system. We have the gut, which is the, is the seat of our immune system. We have, it's connected by the gut-brain axis. We know that the gut has neurons by itself. We know the gut is known as the second brain. And now the heart is connected. So you get to decide which one of those three you operate all your life. Now, I'm not saying the, the brain is a bad thing. We need a threat detection system. We need to not do crazy stuff. So the brain is really important. But if we're living from the logical brain all the time, we're going to make the track to the system. We're going to make decisions based on safety and security and familiarity because the unconscious mind wants familiar. It wants to trap us in the familiar. If we want to do something new, we have to open our heart. We have to begin to listen to what is in my heart. And then before the brain has time to think you out of it, just do it. Send the email, make a decision. And that's the scariest thing a human being can do in life is to give yourself permission to follow your heart because you have to override your brain. But your brain is an is a electrical, chemical processing system based on threat and heightening threat. Now, as I said before, what society is very good at is how many times over the last five decades has there not been some threat pumped at us? We've always been told that somebody or some race or some religion is threatening. We've always been told that something bad is about to happen. You'd wonder why that is. Why are we, when we listen to the news at nighttime, we don't hear about the millions of babies that were born healthy today. We don't, we're not told about the miraculous sun that happens to, to, to rise every morning or the people that fell in love today or the people that just got their dream job or the people that just, why are we not told that? There is a reason why in a world where you want people to be obedient and not to think outside the box and pay their taxes and do what they're told, you feed them fear. And we know when we ignite the amygdala in the brain, people stop thinking, they go into unconscious programs, and now you have their attention because they're not thinking from their heart. They're not using the full ability of their spirit and their soul to ask bigger, deeper questions. Gosh, it's so, that in itself feels quite scary. It makes you not want to put on the news. Um, can we take a, a sidestep a little bit and talk a little bit about mm. ego? Because I know you cover that in part one of the book and how that can uh, get, get in your way, essentially. 
Uh, ego, firstly, a lot of people think ego is something to do with arrogance and, and thinking, you know, phenomenal. That's, not, that's just arrogance. I think that's just we all know what that is and we don't like it. Um, I think ego is more of a frightened part of ourselves. Ego is the person who, ego is a sense of separation first and foremost. Ego is the part of you that says, who the hell am I? Why am I here? I have no purpose. So ego is the part of you that forgets that we're all connected by the universal field, the unified field. Ego doesn't want to believe in the divine. Ego doesn't want to believe. Ego says that we are at the center of the universe. Imagine we said that for years. We know now the earth isn't even at the center of our milky, of our, of our galaxy. Never, ludicrous. The ego says that the human being is the most enlightened species on the planet. Well, I wonder who's saying that other than human beings, because we have the most anxiety. We have the most stress. We're wrecking the planet. But we say we as humans, when our ego speaks, we think that we control the universe and that the universe is here to serve us. It's a sense of artificial power because deep down the ego is terrified with the magnitude of the universe. The ego, the part of the brain, can't understand that we are sitting on a rock that's suspended by an electromagnetic field in the middle of space and that it is spinning at a thousand miles an hour and that if anything in that universe, from the sun to the comets to the stars, stopped at this second, we all die. The ego can't begin to think about where did we come from? Why was the world exist? Where do we go when we die? The ego is terrified of those questions. So the ego says, will you just focus on the fact that you don't have any milk and get annoyed? Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Over that. Will you just focus on the traffic and give out about that? So the ego is looking for something to fight with, something to consume itself with, something to distract itself from the bigger questions. Who am I? Why are we here? Why do we exist? So going beyond the ego is about asking those bigger questions. And going beyond the ego is about stopping the ego from telling you, well, that's who you are, Jerry. You're just somebody with depression. There's nothing you can do about it. You have to live within the way. You're not very good at musical. You're not very good at maths. You're just not very clever. So find a job that suits who, you, who I tell you you are. But we know now that personality, there's no such thing as a personality trait, really. We are capable of changing through neuroplasticity of the brain. We know we can literally rebuild the shape and structure and function of not just our brain, but our nervous system and our gut and our immune system. So we get to reshape and control every aspect of ourselves. So we're not locked within an identity. 
but the ego is terrified of change. The ego just wants, give me familiar. Be the same person you were today. Think about the same things as you did yesterday. Consume yourself in the same emotions that you did yesterday. And as long as you're thinking and feeling the same, I know who you are and we, I can distract you from the bigger questions of who you could be. I hope that makes some sense. It does. It does. It does. You're absolutely right. It, it can be very comfortable. And especially I know a lot of people who I've spoken to over the last couple of years have been on their own during lockdown. And they will say the same thing, that they begin to ruminate on exactly the same things. And they have to really check themselves that they aren't creating a false reality in which they are a bad person or the world around them is terrible. Because, I mean, the, the brain does take you down a negative spiral if you let it. It is. And for me, that's the thing. I have a thing called CODE, calendar of daily events. So I do things every day. One, to nourish my mind, which is important to brain. So I do visualization. I do positive self-talk every morning. So we know that when we do that, we fire the neurons in the brain. Um, so each time we fire a brain, we send that electrical signal through the neuron. We're creating a new pathway in the brain. And that's now changing the chemistry of the brain. So through visualization uh, and, 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 and through self-affirmation, changing your self-talk, we know you can change the structure and the chemistry of the brain, which makes you feel better. The second thing I do is I meditate. Why do I meditate? Because I need to switch off from the noise of the world. The world has gone too noisy. The world is full of anger at the moment. It's full of bitterness. It's full of sides. You have to be pro something or anti something. There seems to be no middle ground anymore. You have to fight against each other. You have to fight for your place in society. I'm not interested in fighting. I have really no interest. So in the morning, I meditate to get out of the noise of the world. I go inside and I ask myself, what's in my heart? What would the best version of Jerry do today? What would kindness look like today? What would love look like today? And I listen to my heart. I allow my heart and my soul to speak. And I say, right, let's be guided by that voice. Let's be guided by the inner voice. And we all have an incredible inner wisdom. So I meditate, nice and short, simple meditations. I practice breath work. So we know that five deep breaths will take us out of sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or flight, which is your adrenaline, cortisol, anxious state of being. And five deep breaths will switch you into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is where we rest, digest, we become calm, we allow our body to in, in improve our immune system. So I breathe regularly throughout the day. And I keep that vision, I keep that sense of calm. And the morning routine is so important because if you can win the morning, if you can set your conscious intention, if you can start the day from a place of calm and a place of love and a clear inner vision of who you want to be that day, then you can maintain that more easily throughout the day. And it means now that you're being defined by your choice, your decisions, not by the outside world. In his book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, T.S. Eliot or Viktor Frankl has an incredible expression. He says, we're defined not by what happens to us, but how we choose to respond. So there are only two things I get to control in the world. One is who am I? How am I choosing to turn up? And B, how am I choosing to respond to what's happened? And when you own who you are and you own your choice and you know that nobody can take that away from you, nobody can make me think what I don't want to think about. Nobody can make me feel how I don't want to feel. If I'm intent and consciously intent on being kind and loving and not being, dis not being defined by the outside world, 
if I can keep that inner world safe and calm and nourished and I keep my inner dreams alive, it's amazing how we can navigate ourselves with more love and more kindness. And that's the world we live in. So we, we think we live in the outside world, but we don't. We live on the inside world, your central nervous system, your, gut, your brain, your, your neurochemicals, the chemicals of the body. They can't see the outside world. So they're not actually responding to the outside world. They're responding to how you think about and how you interpret what's happening in the outside world. It's making so, me think about, sorry, carry on. Are you about to say something? No, no go, go ahead, go ahead. It's making me think about um, how other people affect you, one, whoever's listening, in that we can do all of this work, but I'm sure people listening have uh, people in their lives, maybe you've experienced this too, maybe people have expectations of you or they make you feel a certain way. And there's obviously that famous saying, no one can make you feel anything, you, you do that to yourself. But I definitely have people in my life who I know that I change who I am around them because of the, the potential fallout of what will happen, whether that's a colleague who can be critical about my podcast or whether it's someone close to me who might not want me to do certain things. I know that that actually affects me and I feel like I'd be a bad person if I didn't take their feelings into account and I didn't take on board some of what they were saying. So is that just me welcoming an interference and, and slowing down my the process that you promote and say I should be yeah. on? Well, I think the outside world and the inner world, I think when you're driving, we need to be aware of, we need to take instruction from, and we need to respond at times to the outside world. So when you're driving and you see a red traffic light and it's red, you know you need to stop, you need to know. So the outside world, we constantly need to be aware of it. Somebody can give us feedback. It's important and that will change the way we're thinking. It will improve us. So the outside world is always giving us feedback. But as you approach that red traffic light and you're listening to a Christmas song and you're chatting with your best friend and you're just having a laugh, your emotion doesn't really change because the light is red or green. So you can see it, you can observe it, you can respond to it. But it's not defining how you feel. So on the inside, when you're happy, when you're confident, is good when you're not into arguments. Somebody can give you really helpful feedback that makes your podcast better. You say, God, that's great. Thanks for the gift. So we can assess what people are saying. Is there a truth in that? Is there something I can learn? Maybe there is, maybe there's not. But it's just their opinion. So people, 90% of the time, they're not giving you fact. They're giving you their opinion. And their opinion is true only in their mind. It's only true in their word. In the modern world, we've never mistaked fact and opinion so much. Mm. So fighting on opinions. So everybody's entitled to their opinion. So if somebody has an opinion about me or my work, I, I, I'll hear it. I'll ask, is there truth in it? Could I learn from this? Would it have make me better? Would it make me happier? And if it is, then I'll absolutely take it on board. But if it's not, then that's just their opinion. And I don't need the whole world to agree with who I am or what I do. It doesn't matter. The thing is, when I look in the mirror, do I agree with myself? Am I proud of myself? We have to get to a place of non-comparison. And there's a lovely thing I, I, I talk about where if, we, if we're trying to be the people pleaser all the time, if we're trying to not upset people, then at a deeper level, we're actually trying to manipulate people to like us. It's actually a selfish thing. You're manipulating people. You're not being your true self. 
In some ways, you're being ungenuine, so they like you. You've manipulated that person. The most caring, loving thing you can do is show someone your true self and allow them to decide whether they want you in their life or not. That is free from manipulation. And any relationship that begins with manipulation, it can't ever be what it's meant to be. So whether you meet your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your wife, your husband, one of the first things and the the scariest things about building a loving relationship is allowing the person to see who you are exactly as you are, because then there's no manipulation. Mm. And they get to decide from their heart whether they want you in their life or not. But you can't control that. We can't control what other people think. We can't control other people's opinion. And if you go through your life where you, 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 you value social acceptance over self-expression, then you're going to live a life worrying about what other people think, suppressing your soul, denying your identity, and prohibiting yourself from becoming the person that you could have been. And I think it's so important that we just give ourselves permission in this one beautiful life that you get. You have a soul, you have a spirit. There are dreams in your heart. You know deep down who you could be. If you worried less what people thought, if you worried less about how it would end up, and you asked yourself one simple question, what would love do? If I truly loved myself, what would I do? Then just go do that. I am a card-carrying people pleaser, and I have I have a, a great history of having put other people's needs before my own. And it was actually Helen Thorne who came on this podcast earlier this year who said in 2021, who said, people pleasing, when you think about it, is actually lying. It is. And that was my <laughs> light bulb moment. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought I was yeah. being kind. I thought I was being kind. I thought I was being helpful. I thought I was being a good friend. Mm. But actually, yeah. no, I wasn't. I was lying. I never thought of it as manipulation, but you're right. Yeah. But you know, Emma, that's a really good, real life example of where your ego didn't prevent you from hearing that. Because the ego could say, no, she's wrong. Ah, you know, you listen to an outside opinion. It probably wasn't what you wanted to hear at the time, but it led to, and that's what I'm saying about other people's opinions. Sometimes your greatest gift in life is the person that challenges you most. And I've deliberately surrounded myself with people who, when I need a hug, they give me a hug. But at times they'll say, Jerry, hold on a second here. You're just being a fool now. Or hold on a second here, Jerry, your ego is running away. Or they'll say, Jerry, I'm not taking that. That is not you. That is not reflective of you. And at times, can you just let me do it? And they'll say, if I didn't care about you. So there's one group that I work with, and we have the simple expression where if we need to say something, we start by saying, I love you enough to tell you this. And then, you know, okay, let the ego go. This person has thought about this and they feel this really important. Now, once you hear it, with love, and you know it's coming from a place of kindness and love, hear it, let it settle. And if it doesn't ring true, then let it go again. But that's a great example, Emma, how at times we think we're being a good person. We think that by limiting ourselves, by trapping ourselves, by downplaying ourselves, we're actually helping other people. But we're not. And Marianne Williamson has, has that beautiful poem that says, you know, our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our greatest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. And in the middle of all of that, she says, there is nothing enlightened about shrinking so others won't feel insecure. Your playing small does not serve the world. 
as you give yourself permission to let your light shine, you unconsciously give others permission to do the same. Mm. Playing small just makes other people play small around you. Well, it's interesting because in another uh, light bulb moment I had earlier this year was when I was listening to Demi Moore's uh, autobiography. And mm. she said something and I was out on a walk in the woods. And when when this part of the book came on, I had I just stopped in my tracks because like, it made me realize so much, which was basically we love people. We love others the way that we want to be loved. And talking about people pleasing, it was that on some level, basically, I wanted that reciprocated. I wanted someone, I was putting people up on a pedestal. And there was a part of me that wanted to be loved unconditionally and treated really nicely. And so again, that was another, whew, that was a big, that was a big moment of I realization. <laughs> I know. I was working with an athlete once and and it was, you know, for me as a sports fanatic, it was the person I always dreamed of meeting. And he's one of the biggest names in, in world sport. And on the time I met him, he could probably tell because everybody's just in awe of him. And every sports psychologist dream is to work with this person. So we spent a day together and he asked me more questions than I asked him. He asked me about where from, the background. And I didn't really know, should I tell him I came from a very small town, a very small farm, that I came from very, you know, very normal. And I said, if we're going to walk today, he's going to find out. So I just told him everything. And then for the first week, I just spent time with him. And he gave me five letters to read. And each letter he wrote describing the lowest point in his life. So his mindset, um, when he became obsessed with work and really missed out in the first four years of his son's life. When he made a business decision that really hurt somebody that had been loyal to him because he believed he had to be a tough businessman. And he made me read these letters. And when I spoke to him at the end, he said, okay, what, what did you think of the letters? I said, they're very real, very incredible. He said, I, I, I read those letters to see how far I've become. I've changed. I'm, I'm, not those pers- I'm not that person anymore. But he says, there is a tendency in me that I could become that person again. And if you were to work with me, you have to mind me. You have to protect me from becoming that person. And I thought, you know, here was a guy who knew the world was in all of them. And yet he wanted a deep, loving relationship. And he said, I'm going to show you everything. If my mind isn't checked, if my ego gets it out of control, I want to show you who I can become. And if I become that person, even though I'm winning all this, it's no good to me. So can you just do that job for me? Just mind me. And we developed the most amazing relationship where at times he'd say to me, what do you think now? And I say, I think your ego is running right. I, I think you need to go home and spend more time with your, your children. So for me, it's, we all, if you can realize who you become when you're filled with fear, without judgment, but say, when I'm filled with fear, I people please too much. I say yes to too many things. I doubt myself. So now you have this incredible awareness of what fear does. And with that awareness, you can begin to become the observer of yourself. So you now you begin to observe yourself becoming that person and you can stop it and you can say, all right, I need to get back to my meditation. I need to get back to some therapy. I need to get back to walking in the woods. I need to get back to my exercise. I need to not become this person anymore. And that is the incredible 
ability we all have when we become consciously the observer of our own self. So we can see ourselves on a really bad day, but not start giving out to ourselves and say, but I'm actually having a bad day today, but that's perfectly okay. So let's, let's go back and rebuild again. My diet, my exercise, my routine, my meditation, let's rebuild it. And so it means that we can be in a bad space for a day or maybe two days, but sometimes people go into a bad space and they can be weeks, months, or even years in there. And they don't even know they're in there. Mm. Start to awaken to a higher level of consciousness. We become the observer of ourselves. And now we can regulate our own thoughts and our own emotions. And we can safeguard ourselves from becoming the person that we could become when we're filled with fear. Because that story with the athlete, obviously you have someone who's incredibly self-aware to be able to make those observations, write those five letters, but they still need you to keep them in check. Is, is the goal to be able to do, for that person to be able to see and feel it yeah. coming and be able to check it themselves? It is, Emma, but you know, if you imagine the greatest brain surgeon in the world trying to create time to do brain surgery on himself. So mm-hmm. I think the most skilled observer, the most awakened consciousness, even the greatest psychologist at times should sit with somebody. It doesn't have to be a trained therapist. It could be a really good friend. It could be someone that you know. You can go for a walk with once a month. You can share, you can talk, you can help them. And someone's going to give you perspective. And even by talking sometimes, and you said you in, in, in therapy, so you, you know this experience. Very often when you're telling the story out loud to someone and it's not in your own head, by the time you tell the story, you actually start laughing and say, I can't believe I was listening to that story for the last six months. And I can't believe I was buying into it. So sometimes I think we all need someone. It doesn't have to be a trained therapist, a good friend who we speak out the stories that's in your head the story that you're allowing to run in your mind, the way you're beginning to act, put them on a piece of paper, write them down, speak them for someone and create that almost that gap between you and your life and say, right. And I, so I think we all need somebody um, because when the story is in our head, it gets attached to an emotion and now it gets distorted. We can't see it through objective clarity and what we need is objective clarity. So Find someone, a good friend, someone who loves you enough that won't tolerate your excuses or won't tolerate, not someone who tells you exactly what you want to hear all the time. They're not really any good to you because they're so afraid of upsetting you that you'll never have any breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. People in life who let time allow you to have a breakthrough to another level of thinking, another level of perspective. Are you talking here about the states of consciousness? Because that, again, is another thing that you cover in the book. Yeah, in, in consciousness, we talk, you know, and everyone has heard of the unconscious mind. And the unconscious mind is just a learned pattern of behaviors. It's the thing we do to get the dopamine effect. So it's, we sleep on the same side of the bed. We wake up in the morning, we have the shower in the same way. We come downstairs the same way. We we drink out of the same cup. We get into, into work. We go. In, so it's just a familiarity. And that's what the unconscious mind does. It, it's designed to keep you alive so if you did something yesterday and it didn't kill you it wants you to do the same again and it will chemically reward you for doing the same so every time you repeat the process it gives you dopamine it makes you feel happy so you're being conditioned you're being tricked into by the unconscious mind just above the conscious mind we have we have the unconscious we have the conscious mind now the conscious mind can then have that moment of clarity where you begin to say right hold on a second here I think it's my side of the bed, but if I was to, I only bought that bed in Ikea. That isn't my bed. 
And I've never actually slept on the other side. So why is this my bed? And there's four bedrooms in my house, but I've only ever slept in one. And every time I go into the coffee shop, I order the same thing. So when you become conscious, now you can look at the patterns in your life and you begin to question them. Why do you do it that way? Would there be something better? Is that really efficient? So when you start to get out of the limbic program, when you start to get out of the limbic brain, when you start to calm the mind, when you start to use your breath, you open your prefrontal cortex of the brain, now you become conscious. So you can actually observe not just the way you life, but you can actually hear your own thoughts. And then finally, beyond that state of what I call local consciousness, because even when I'm conscious, it's still Jerry. But beyond local consciousness is a pure consciousness where everybody and everything is connected. So we have to understand that everything in the world, everything of matter came from the unified field. It came from a field of energy. And everything in the universe is created from and suspended by the same field of energy. So we all go back to the same source. So therefore, when I see you, when I meet you, I'm partly meeting myself. What I do to you, I do to myself. So if I put more joy, more happiness, and more love in the world, now I get to live in a world of more joy, more love. But if I put more anger, more greed, more bitterness into the world, now that's the world I get to live in. There's a beautiful old expression that says, what we do to nature, we do to ourselves. And what becomes of nature becomes of ourselves. So everything in life is a boomerang. It's energy. We are energy. And whatever energy I put out through my words, my actions, my thoughts comes back. And that's the world I live in. So if you want a kinder world, if you want people to be happier, we have to be sent out that energy of happiness. And sometimes I wonder why people on the Western world with so much abundance, why we're so unhappy. Maybe it's because on the other side of the world, children are starving to death. Maybe it's because we allow people to fly airplanes over countries and drop bombs on innocent people. We're all connected. How can I be happy when another human being, another soul that is spiritually connected to me is deeply unhappy? Now, we know that some of the happiest people on the planet are people who dedicate their lives to others, who have a mission of making the world a happier place. There is something incredible when you begin to focus less on me and my life. Now, that's not saying we abandon our dreams or that we abandon our happiness. But how could we make the world a better place? So when we get into that pure consciousness state, we realize that everything is connected. And everything we do has a ripple effect. So if we want the world to be in a certain way, then we have to begin to put that energy, that frequency out there. We have to become living, breathing ambassadors to the world that we want to live in. And the amazing thing is when you start to focus on your frequency, when you begin to focus on your, the energy that I'm living my life in, now you begin to attract people. And you begin to rise it. You know, since I started this meditation, since I started doing this work, since I've let go of that fear, there's a whole new group of people in my life. And they all seem to be thinking about the same thing. And they seem to be more positive and more energetic. And all those people that were prophets of doom, where are they gone? You've energetically manifested them out of your life. And you've energetically manifested new people into your life. Because we are all connected. And people will gravitate towards people who are, have the same vibrational frequency. So 
isn't it funny how similar people always meet mm. by chance? People with similar backgrounds always hang out together. People who live within the same limiting stories always hang out together. So when we enter that state of pure consciousness, Jerry's not thinking just about Jerry anymore. I'm asking what's, be- what's the best thing I can do for the world. So I buy a jumper and I ask, where is that jumper made? And by buying that jumper, what am I promoting? You know, if I buy fruit, what type of fruit production am I promoting? If I say yes to this thing, if I subscribe to this, what am I actually subscribing to? So if we want the world to be a more balanced and more healthy place where human beings are seen as equal, then we have to start by being an ambassador for that ourselves. It's a good point. Well made, isn't it? About the idea of us all being interconnected. And when you talk about what's happening on the other side of the world, it does it does make you think. But before I let you go, because I know that our time together is drawing to a close, unfortunately, I wanted to just pick on something that you said there about limiting beliefs, because talking about the world and balance and being energetically connected is quite is a big picture. But for someone who's listening, for the individual who wants to take action from today, and maybe living, having listened to this, might think, actually, I, I am limiting myself. I thought I was keeping myself safe and doing the best for myself, but I've limited myself. What would be the thing that you would like them to take away from this conversation? Three, three points. Great people with a great process achieve great outcomes. So the first thing you do, become a great person. Now, great is what's great in your mind. But I believe in your mind. If, if, if we all deep down, I can read people's mind. Because they're going to say, I want to be a kind person. I want to be a non-judgment person. I want to be a grateful person. I want to be an ambitious person. So write down, firstly, if you were to achieve everything you wanted in life, what type of person would you need to be? So the first thing we have to focus, before we focus on goals or targets or the process, who do I need to be? And how do I become that person? How do I become calmer? How do I become more relaxed? How do I ask myself deeper questions? Who do I need to surround myself with? And finally, what's the story I need to stop telling myself? So I started listening to Louise Hay over 30 years ago and 101 Power Thoughts. And when I started listening to her, my first reaction was, ah, she's some American. Maybe maybe Americans are more confident than the Irish. We're not meant to be saying this. As Irish Catholics, we're not meant to be saying good things about ourselves. We need to be filled with guilt. I realized, Emma, when I started listening to positive affirmations, that I actually thought it was wrong to say good things about myself. But eventually I got to a point where I could not only say them, but I could actually believe them. The relationship you have with yourself is singly the most important thing that is shaping your life. A building cannot stand outside the size of its foundations. And your life cannot be bigger or happier than the size of your inner beliefs. So begin to ask, what's the belief I hold about myself? Where did I get that belief? And is it time to shake it off? How do I start a new belief? Visualization, positive self-affirmations, changing the people you surround yourself with, and then change your habits. So look at your habits around your morning routines. Look at your habits around how long you spend on the phone, looking into your phone, looking at other people's lives. So change the person you are and then change the habits. And then simply come up with a really good process. So beside every goal, so the goal might be to, you know, might be to make more money. It might be to be to leave my job. It doesn't matter what your goal is. 
Beside each goal, write three things that I need to do every day to make that work. So I call them the enablers. That's the process. So you become a good person coming from a good mindset with a really good process. And in my history of sport, life, and business, good people who are filled with joy and love and excitement with a good process, you end up with a good outcome. So that's where I started. Start by asking who would I want to be? And who, what are the supports? What are the things I need to do to close the gap between who I am right now and who I think I should be, who I would like to be, the way I'd like to think, the way I'd like to feel? Surround yourself with the right people and build the right habits each and every day. And please don't say, I can't. Don't say, that's not me. It's only not who you are at this moment. But I promise you, I was that 11-year-old kid who thought that everything in life was too hard. I was capable of nothing. I had no self-confidence. I had a stammer that I couldn't speak anywhere. If I can, if I can begin to change and continue that change, I promise everybody that even though it could be small, gradual change, but a small, gradual change every single day by the right habits, it's amazing where you can be. It's amazing who you can become. What a fantastic place on which to uh, end this conversation and to remind listeners that they can. Uh, obviously, you've just heard Jerry share some brilliant insights, but his book, Awaken Your Power Within, Let Go of Fear, Discover Your Infinite Potential, Become Your True Self is available now. And that link will be in the show notes. Jerry, would you mind letting people know where they can find you online? Um, yeah, my Instagram, uh, I'm just over a year on Instagram. I'm new to it, uh, but it's at Jerry Hussey. And the business I have with my wife is Soul Space, S-O-U-L-S-P-A-C-E. And you can find that at, at Soul Space underscore the experience. Our website is www.soulspace.ie. So we give away a lot of stuff for free, Emma. We're really passionate about this. So if somebody even wants to know where do I start? Where do I start with meditation? Where do I start with nutrition? Where do I start with understanding the brain? We give so much away on a website for free. So check it out on www.soulspace.ie and if you never become a customer we're more than happy take what's there and, and take it to good effect because we've probably robbed it from someone else as well because there's no universe there's no real thing that's a, a unique idea these are just universal truths that have been shared around the world forever and we just want to become a medium of sharing lovely jerry thank you so much for your time it's been a pleasure to meet you my pleasure thank you so much for having me Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one.
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and protecting Potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.